Hello, I'm Anne Mossop, Sydney Writers' Festival Artistic Director. We hope you enjoy this episode from our podcast program. Oh, look at this. We're all in a room together. It's magical. Good evening. Uh, my name's Julia Zamiro, and I'm hosting this wonderful session with Martha Wainwright all the way from Montreal. Lovely to see you all here. Not too much of a comedy moat here. That's good. You could have come a bit closer, but that's all right. Over here, well done. To begin with, though, of course, we, uh, tonight we are gathered here together on the unceded land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to ancestors and elders past and present. And I want to acknowledge and celebrate the original artists of this country and what they've given us and continue to give us through their art in song, music, dance, painting, comedy and writing. Our original storytellers. Now, our guest tonight, I've met Martha twice. The first time was on Rockwiz. We had her on with uh, Dan Kelly, and she blew our tiny minds, I'm not afraid to tell you. She was sensual and um, embodied the music and worked with Dan so beautifully in their duet, and we all fell a little bit in love with her. The second time I met her was on Rock Quiz again when she was on with Adrian Ballou, a kind of a crazy guitarist uh, from America, and they did Heroes, David Bowie's Heroes. And we used to film two shows in those days in one night, and um, there was a lot of pressure to get, you know, get it done, and all of a sudden there was an explosion outside and the electricity cut off. And we thought we were going to get there, and that's the impact that Martha can have in a room. The electricity literally went away. And, you know, if it hadn't come back on, we would have lost this opportunity to hear her sing again. And again, she was extraordinary. I cannot believe how exciting it is that she's written this book, a memoir, a very powerful memoir about her life. Of course, Martha is born into music royalty, the daughter of folk legends Kate McGarrigal and Loudon Wainwright III and sister to Rufus. She grew up in a world filled with incomparable music legends, Anna McGarrigal, Leonard Cohen, Susie Roach, Richard and Linda Thompson, Emily Har Emmylou Harris, and struggled to find her voice in a milieu which every drama was refracted through song. Then in 2005, she releases her critically acclaimed album, Martha Wainwright, containing the fabulous hit, Bloody Motherfucking Asshole which the Sunday Times called one of the best songs of that year. That release and the albums that followed, such as Come Home to Mama and I Know You're Married But I've Got Feelings Too, showcased Martha's searing songwriting style, her sense of humour and established her as a powerful voice to be reckoned with. Now, this book to me felt like I was meeting up with a, a school friend I hadn't seen in years and just listened and listened and listened and got deeper and deeper into these stories. She digs into her life with the same emotional honesty that has come to define her music. She describes her tumultuous public-facing journey from awkward, earnest and ultimately rebellious daughter through her intense competition and ultimate alliance with her brother Rufus to finding her voice as an artist and then the indescribable loss of their mother, Kate. Would you please welcome all the way from Montreal, the magnificent Martha Wainwright. <laughs> Let him hang up there. Oh. How are you going there, Martha? It's early. It is, but it's good. I have my coffee. Great. I got dressed for you, so it's good. It's Six a.m. I'm like a everyone. real writer. I'm like a real writer. I have to get up in the morning and write. So. <laughs> <laughs> correct. That is correct, Martha. Um, how did it feel moving from music into words? I mean, how does it feel to have this little baby out there? This is a whole new baby. It is. It took a long time to uh, finish this book. Um, I, I put a lot in. I wrote a lot down. I took a lot out of it uh, because I, I um, didn't want to get sued too many times. And, you know, also because there's a lot of... Um, 
there's a lot of taboo subjects. And um, uh, so I, I was had to be very careful. At the same time, I really wanted to um, talk about this stuff because what, what, what else am I going to talk about as, you know, it was, it was difficult to write a memoir, um, in, in the middle of your life, you know, because there's, uh, um, there's a lot still to, to, that needs to happen. There's a lot of the people that are still alive, (laughs) um, you know, and there's nowhere to escape to. Um, so, so it was a different kind of baby, you know, in, in writing songs, there's a, there's a lot more, um, freedom in many ways with poetry and words and the vo- and, and and the sound and the wor- and the and the uh, instrument whereas with the book it was really um opening up in a different way did it come easy were you up every morning writing i tried to no it didn't come easily i would write in 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 spurts um and um, I, I could get a lot down on the page, um, but then I realized that I had the job of, of, you know, making it make sense. You know, I had no experience as a writer, and I think that that very quickly I realized how difficult it was going to be to be able to sustain a, a voice for, you know, a couple hundred pages, and I had never been confronted with that. And so it took seven years to write this book. There were times when I didn't uh, touch it, you know, at all because it was too um, disturbing. <laughs> but I, I, I would try different things, you know, try and um, there were a few different voices at the beginning. And then I really had to sort of pick one and sort of really kind of um, uh, weigh every sentence and, and do what, what you're supposed to do as a writer, which is to really... Um, focus in and find an arc and the story. And uh, so that work was the most challenging, but also the most um, rewarding, I would say, because I did feel really proud when something um, seemed to really work. And I was kind of excited about that. To give us a flavour of the directness and the punch of your work and your voice that you finally found, what you were gonna, the voice you were gonna write with. Can you read us just the first couple of pages? Because it made me want to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read. Um, yeah, I'll go a couple of pages. We'll see what happens, and I'll I'll stop when I think it makes sense to stop. I was born Martha Gabrielle Wainwright in New York State in 1976. My mother, Kate McGarrigle, and my father, Loudon Wainwright III, loved me, or at least they grew to love me. Loudon told me when I was a teenager that he didn't want me at first and pressured my mother to have an abortion. My mom freaked out just as the procedure was about to start, though, and the doctor spoke up. He was concerned for her, and he pointed out that Loudon and Kate were married, had some degree of financial stability, and had one child already, my brother Rufus. Maybe not the best reasons to bring a child into the world, but I'm glad the doctor opened his mouth. I was surprised when Loudon told me this story, and it also hurt my feelings. I had always felt a little out of place in the world, and knowing that I'd only just barely made the cut didn't help matters any. Perhaps he should never have told me. I don't think my mom would have. When I asked her about it, she said that he had given her an ultimatum, something like the baby and me or else the baby and the career, but not all three. I never understood why exactly, but perhaps dad felt threatened by her remarkable talent and didn't like the attention she was getting from record labels at the time. My mother was beguiling and a force of nature, and maybe it was all too much for him. I suppose I could ask him about it again, but I don't want to. Kate is not around to hear his answer, and anything he says may be the truth as he sees it, but will not be the whole story. My parents separated anyway, only months after my birth, and my mother carried me and my brother back to her native Montreal. Decades later, I had to navigate a bad divorce myself and found that being able to explain or express in any exact way how things go wrong is impossible. Their marriage, like mine, was rocky, and now I understood better than when I was a teenager why I almost wasn't born. Yeah. 
straight away we're right into the guts of it. And uh, it's interesting, you're very candid about uh, your own abortions throughout the book, about what that means. Here we are now in America with Roe versus Wade and that stuff's all happening. Um, you know, and through this story, here we are hearing, you know, your father possibly already starting to feel jealous of your mother. Later on, there seems to be a similar thing happening in your marriage as well. It's like always just trying to get on top of it, trying to get above it creatively, knowing there's this shadow behind you as well. Um, well, I, I think that these are shadows that a lot of families um, feel, you know, in, they are, they're not exactly, it's not, a, it's not a blueprint exactly for everyone's family, but I definitely feel that there's, you know, whether it's the kind of, whether there's the family secrets that, that, are, that exist or, and also, you know, the relationships, the internal relationships in marriages and um, uh, and the rivalries that exist. I, I do, you know, obviously in, in my family, it's sort of more in the forefront because we've all uh, written about a lot of these subjects that are talked about in the book in song and, and, and have made careers out of that, you know. And I think what I recognized early on is when I would watch my dad um, play um, at shows and he would talk about, his father or an ex-wife or, or um, um, you know, being out on the road and having to not see his children, like, you know, making a decision to, to work more than be at home with his kids. Um, I would see these, you know, kind of sometimes it was like kind of a big construction worker guy or um, somebody very different than, say, my father come up to him after the show in tears and sort of say, you talked about that. I totally understood how that that's exactly like my family, you know, and it was a very quick and, and, um, I think it was a, it was a strong lesson that, that made me understand at an early age that we all go through, um, a lot of the similar things, but then are forced to sort of hide them or not connect, you know, with, with, with others because we don't, we don't feel the same, but there is so much in common. And so I thought that, you know, that was somewhere something I could talk about. And of course, you know, they asked me to write a memoir. You know, I was asked to write a memoir or I was told I could. And, and, you know, at first I was like, great, you know, I'll be a writer. And then I started and it was like really hard. And I was like, what have I done? And, um, but I knew that people also would be interested to hear in, in, you know, they didn't ask me to write recipes, you know, and, and gardening, you know, I knew that there was, there was an interest in my family and, and the people that I've met and my, and my, and the music business. You obviously, I guess, always going to do music, but I love you. Take us through um, all these different identities you're trying to explore and you even end up at acting school. How was acting school for you, Martha? I didn't mind mine. I went to acting school for three years. But how did it go for you? What are your memories? Well, I, you know, I was, I tried to get into an acting school in, in, in Montreal that was the, the best one and I did not get into that school. And I think, you know, that was a, that's always um, an important lesson in, in acting is, you know, auditioning and not getting the part. And, and um, so then I went on to do an audition for another school um, and did get in. And my whole, I didn't, um, I didn't approach it with much seriousness, I must admit. <laughs> and, and I sort of, you know, I already at that point, I had started making um, music with my brother as his backup singer, but also writing songs. And acting school, you know, was asking me to sort of be neutral and to clean the slate of myself in order to be able to sort of become different characters and to... Um, sort of give myself up to the craft and up to um, the school and give myself to the up to the older grades and sort of helping them on stage. And I just um, pretty quickly turned away from that and um, wanted to, you know, um, really express my individuality um, right away. And and I and I think I understood, you know, that. To be a good actor, you know, you really do have to commit yourself to to the craft of it, and um, that oftentimes means, you know, having that be the focus. And I started writing songs, as I said, and it was 
to me, a much easier way to make a few bucks <laughs> and to go on the road and to travel. And so I, I, um, I left. Yeah, good, good choice. Good that because they do make you neutral at school. That is what they they do try and kind of um, teach you things. They want you to be this blank slate, and I think it's quite confusing when you're a young person to go. But I can't be blank. I've got something. There is something in me. How do you build on that? Also, with you, you know, your two cultures and two languages as well. Uh, la Canadienne uh, qui parle français, super. Um, but what was that like? Because you went to a French school. How did, what identities were you feeling? Because I know that I feel very different in France. In France, I'm a lot more bolshine and more outspoken and a bit ruder. Uh, and in Australia, I'm a little bit more a follow the rules, a bit more polite, hideously Anglo-Saxon. Um, it's true. What about you? How has that informed you and, and when you were growing up? Well, I think um, absolutely it's two different states of mind and, and um, it, it does, it, you know, as, as you probably feel like once you learn a, a, another language, you know, it really expands your, um, yourself, you know, and, and, and your way of being in the world. Um, and I was always, I, I always felt a little bit different and I kind of liked that feeling, you know, very much, especially because when I arrived here in Montreal, when I was just a baby, um, I was born, I, because I was born in the States and my dad was Amer is American, I was American. And so I, I was also coming in as an American and I would go down to the States a lot and stay. And so that there was also a sort of a U.S. Canada, um, um, duality there. And, um, the culture in Quebec is so, um, different and so specific, you know, because it really is, it's a, it's a, a French speaking place that's surrounded by, English speaking, and it's really uh, tries to d hold on to its language and culture. And so there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of laws that, that, that state that you have to, like, I had to go to school in French. I had to do all of this stuff, which is really, um, challenging, obviously, when you're, when you're speaking English at home. But my mother had, spoke French. And so it was just this thing to, um, learn, you know, which is, and I'm looking over here because my, I'm, I'm at a desk and my kids are having to do the same thing. And there's, uh, les conjugaisons are up on the wall and, 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 and how to, the conjugaisons, how to conjugate verbs in French. It's like a whole other thing. Um, and I'm just telling them, you know, just do it and do it now. And then it'll, it'll ingrain in there. And then it'll, it'll be more fun, you know, when you travel around the world and you can, you can do this, you know, you can speak this language. And I think in my, in my case, where it really, um, changed my life was in music and in the choices that I made, you know, I, um, I singing in French changed how, you know, changed how I sing and changed how I, how my brain thought and how I expressed myself. So I did a record of, of, um, Edith Piaf songs before that I did, um, a couple of songs of Barbara and just being able to switch between the two with some ease, you know, um, like anything that you learn really helped my, my craft on stage and, and, um, the embodiment of music. The book, uh, obviously also goes through, um, your mother's illness and her death and, it's so interesting. You talk about how unprepared you are. We always are, aren't we? My father died a couple of years ago. And until you're in that hospital and you're watching how the nurses are around you and you describe that whole time so accurately and so um, it's very moving because I, I understood it. But it's not until you're in it that you ever, ever experience that, that you know what it will be. And it's a very long journey where your mother is... Um, she kind of rallies and then she's sick again. And all through this time, you're pregnant and your baby arrives prematurely. How was it writing about that? Was that, was that good for you in some way? I mean, is Kate with you there that whole time in your mind? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's the, that's the, the, the main story in, in the book in many ways um, because it was the most... Um, um, sad and difficult time that I could also talk about because there was some distance, you know, I, um, my mother died 12 years ago. So I think that I had been, um, telling this story to myself and, um, 
to my friends and sort of um, internalizing it for, for a long time. And so it was a great um, relief to be able to put it on the page and in a way um, finish the mourning process, which I think is, is what happened with a lot of the stories in this book that I didn't realize when I started by writing it. It was sort of a way to put it, put it away and, and to put it into my own words and rather than somebody else's and put it away in order to make room for, um, you know, more family stories, the stories that really interest me more, which is at this point, you know, my kids and, and what, how we're going to go forward now in this present day. Um, I would still, you know, as I would write about Kate and especially the final moments of her life, um, I uh, would oftentimes, you know, I would cry when I would have to sort of edit through that passage and make sure, okay, is this is this exactly right? Is this how I want to tell the story? And um, when I did the audio book, you know, a few months ago, I, um, as when I got to that point in the story, you know, I I uh, did get. I did get teary and cried a bit. And I think that um, that to me also told me that it was well told. You know, I didn't want to disconnect from from the story by just going, okay, well, I've written about it and now it's over. I, I want to sort of free myself of the burden of it, but at the same time be able to connect into the, you know, the, the rawness of, of it and be able to uh, always... Um, you know, have a have a moment where I can um, allow myself those tears. So uh, it was a nice um, balance, and but certainly, I think, uh, generally speaking, uh, it's been very freeing to write that story down, as along with some of the others. You say in the book at one point that your mother used to be cross with you because she said you didn't have any interests. What did she mean by that? You didn't have mm. enough interests. Yeah. Uh, well, my mother was, um, you know, very, um, very intelligent, very intense. Um, and I, I, she had, I, they called it St. Vitus dance, but I think that was just ADHD, <laughs> but how <laughs> the Catholic nuns referred to it. And, um, she, um, uh, you know, was very interested in, 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 in she, she had a degree in, in physics from McGill. She played many instruments and, um, read a lot. And I think that um, as a young person, I frustrated her uh, because I wasn't um, as um, uh, ferocious um, and intellectual and um, uh, a natural talent in the same way that she was. And I think it, it would, it kind of, you know, she would push me and she pushed me too hard. You know, I, I talk about my dad doing some not great things in this book. And I also talk about my mom doing some not great things in this book, you know, and um, um, being pretty tough on me. I, I do think that overall the, the book is a love story to her and to my dad as well. And I, and I, I think why I talked about when she referred to me not having enough interest or even when she referred to me as being mediocre is because it really was my own fear uh, that she was, uh, and I was afraid that she was right, you know, and I think that um, a lot of us, uh, an artist, I, I mean, speaking as an artist, we're always afraid, or at least I am of, am I, you know, am I, am I good enough? Am I as good as the, the, the greats? Where am I in the tower of song? You know, I haven't read, um, all of the great writers. I'm not reading the books around me. I'm not going to the, to the plays. I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm taking advantage of, of life in its full, um, um, brilliance, you know, and it's a lot of, um, pressure uh that that we put on ourselves to do this so i just was i think that it would, i was talking about um the my own insecurities about my, myself that were um really there but not helped by my my mom sort of um making me feel no better about, about it if can that I, makes sense can i get you to read from page 147 when you made the PF album, mm -hmm. you did seem to really connect with it. And sometimes when you're performing, you feel there's, there's people watching over you. 
PF's name sometimes comes up when you type my name into a search engine, which makes me happy. When I went on tour for the album in 2010, after Kate had died, I always imagined both PF and my mom watching me perform from the balcony. Their collective gaze was loving but critical, and I wanted to make them proud. I didn't imagine them talking to each other, hanging out and drinking red wine and arguing or singing together. That would be silly. But it was easy to pretend that the silhouettes of two audience members in the balcony were Kate and Edith, which made me smile and also hold back tears. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. You're very honest in this book. I was really taken aback and and there were times when I was reading the book in a cafe and I felt like I had to go home and read it in silence. I just wanted to be with this story and be there quietly and and be in it. It's called Stories I Might Regret Telling You. Are you regretting any of them? No, I'm I'm not. You know, I I was uh, (laughs) careful to to take some some stuff out, and that was an interesting uh, process because, um, you know, I I am um, I think my music and and my 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 being on stage and and being very expressive on stage is is um, very. I'm very privileged to be able to do that, and I think people see a lot of um, freedom when I'm when I'm expressing myself that way. And I've been in in, in Quebec. They say, "Oh, Martha, tu as beaucoup de liberté." Je vois la liberté. You know, I see the freedom in you, and I that is true. Um, but you know, in in recent years, um, you know, with with my divorce and custody battles, there's you know, I I, I had to be very careful as well. And so I had to sort of really, um, uh, I really wrestled with that. You know, I would write stuff down that I wanted to express, but then I had to remove it. And I think that, you know, that was important because I knew the title invited also invites, um, people to sort of make me regret it in a way, you know, and the title was uh, was a bit dangerous. I didn't want uh, the, I, well, the title was not my idea, but it ended up being the best title for the book, certainly because I think it's um, it's evocative and 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 it's a good title. Um, but I do think that in saying as much as I do, you know, in talking about abortions, not only my my mother's but my uh, um, um, my mother's potential abortion with me, but my own. Um, and 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 um, talking openly about my parents, talking openly about uh, drugs and alcohol, um, and then my divorce. You know, um, as openly as I could. Um, you know, I I didn't want to end up regretting this because it was already so much that I was putting on the line by doing it. And so, um, no, I don't. I don't. And and I and I think uh, I so far, you know, I, I feel that I've um, struck the balance that I could. And um, doing this, you know, it is the nature of the beast that not everyone's going to love um, what they read in the book, you know, especially those who are in it. But that's not who the book is for, you know. It's for the, a wider audience, you know. So. Um, it's okay. In French, the book is called Rien de Grave n'est encore arrivé, which means nothing bad has happened yet. Where did you get that title from? Where's that from? Right. Right. And that, that's, the, that's what I wanted to title the book in English at one point when, when this book was um, uh, submitted to court in, my, in a, in a, in a in the custody <gasps> battle, I was like, oh boy, this oh. title is not good. So, um, and I didn't touch the book for a couple of years and then I, I um, then I decided to go back in and, and, um, finish it. Um, nothing bad has happened yet. Um, was a phrase that it's not so much in the original and, in, 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 in what ended up being printed, but in early drafts, I, it was the first line of the book. Um, it was throughout the book as this, um, that this haunting, uh, phrase, nothing, I, I think I had written nothing really bad has happened yet. And, um, um, and then it turns out, uh, it was, um, somewhere else. Would you like me to read at the end that describes what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It would. (laughs) Because then it, then it's, it's, 
concise. <laughs> In the epilogue, this is the epilogue. Mm. Nothing really bad has happened yet. That sentence haunts me. When I started working on this book, it ran through my mind over and over. Was it wishful thinking? Why did I keep coming back to it? After Aunt Teddy read an early draft, I told her about the sentence, and she thought it was strange, too. Hadn't plenty of bad enough things happened to me? I replied, exactly. I will write that nothing bad has happened yet, and then I will describe some bad things, and that would be kind of funny, right? She wasn't convinced. Neither was I, really. But the idea kept running through my mind. I finally figured out why, when I was reading a novel by Miriam Taves, All My Puny Sorrows, while trying to stay away from Anderson Cooper and the other pundits on CNN, and I came across the sentence, the words, nothing bad has happened yet, a lyric from a Loudon Wainwright song knocked around in my head. God damn it! <laughs> I sat up in bed and racked my brain, saying the line out loud, and then it came to me in loud and sweet, high, perfect, melodic voice. Nothing bad has happened yet, followed by him sing-speaking in a lower register, and everyone is happy. It's from a song of his called Thanksgiving on a record called Therapy, and refers to a photograph, or a time really, when everything was okay in my father's family my family. In the song, he describes going down for his afternoon nap, something he still takes daily, like a two-year-old, and having a dream about his family. Mother and father are both still young, and naturally they love us. We're all lying on a lawn at night, watching the stars above us. Lord, every year we gather here to eat around this table. Give us the strength to stomach as much as fast as we are able. Mm. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful image. And it was interesting that you finished the, the, the book with, with your dad's words, with a, your, a story from your father. Yeah. I, I, you know, I obviously was, um, you know, he's, he's still very much alive. So, you know, I, I, um, I wanted to talk about my dad, obviously, and, and, um, but also I think that although the, the book starts with a little bit of a, um, um, a slap, I think, in a way, to him, or a difficult um, um, uh, first page, I, it really goes on to um, talk about his, um, talk about him in a way where, where I think I was able to really see what, you know, his, his work and really a love him as an artist in particular. And then of course, as a father, but also, you know, recognizing that, you know, he made, um, you know, he's just different, you know, what, it's so hard for me to understand, um, a 75 year old man. <laughs> what do I know about that? <laughs> I hear you. You know, and, uh, you know, so. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> There's, a, there's an accompanying, uh, there's a companion to the memoir, um, an album called Love Will Be Reborn. Did you do that on purpose? Was that something you were always going to do? No, no, the timing of this was interesting. So I, I put out a record um, about, uh, you know, nine months ago or something um, called Love Will Be Reborn. And it was my uh, first record in a while, uh, really kind of a, really a, a middle a, a mid age, a mid, being really in the middle in my middle age. I came out when I was um, forty five, and um, I, to me, I think it's a it, it was a really it's been a really important record um, because it's really about shedding the past in many ways and and this new beginning. And in the second part of my life, and and that is really where the book ends too, because um, the book kind of goes through the, this really intense stuff and youth and family, and uh, I mean it's not all dreary, you no. know. I, I think a lot of it's funny and fun, but I really didn't want to end on a on a too dark a note, you know. So we see at the end of the book this little bound of of, of hopefulness of of for the future. And I think that that's what the album is about too, you know, is sort of having the gaze be towards the light rather than uh, towards the, a darker past. 
And so they do um, work uh, together. And then um, I think about a couple weeks ago, I released um, a deluxe album, uh, a deluxe version of the album, which has um, uh, four songs on it. That's just me playing with the piano player live in my little cafe that I have here in Montreal. I have a music venue of um, singing some of these songs that uh, my parents wrote and that Rufus wrote and sort of um, bringing the book into, into music. I'm just going to put out the call again for any questions. There's a couple of microphones here. So if you feel you've got a question, you know, take a punt. Get out there. Get up and come down to the microphone. Live a little. I know. Live a little and come down if you've got a question. All right? I'll look out for you. Put your hand up. Um, in the meantime, while people come down, um, Martha, what are you up to now? So you did open a venue uh, and then COVID obviously came into play. What's happening with it now? Mm. It's called Ursa. Ursa, yes, the mama bear um, um, and the constellation uh, Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, um, the big and the little dipper. Well, actually, you guys have different. You have a different star. You have different stars. You know, we have our. our <laughs> yep. Um, which I talk a little bit about in the book, I think. You um, do. But, you do. Um, <laughs> um, but it's a uh, it's an idea that I'd had for a long time to open up a venue, but it never made sense before because it's incredibly difficult and and exhausting. And I, you know, when I started, I was doing a lot of the cooking and and the booking and cleaning and 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 you know um, the whole nine yards. I walk around the city a lot with it in a you know um, you know looking crazy in, in uh, my, my outfits, you know, with outside with, with the broom and stuff. And so um, it was really a fun, a, a fun, it, it has, be, it was fun. And, and at the, and then COVID happened and for the first, you know, I was like, Oh, kind of relieved, you know, I think as we all were for a second, you know, we're like, wow, let's have a little two week break, you know? <laughs> And then it quickly became um, obvious that this was not going to be a two-week break, you know, and, and that um, that we, uh, you know, people are it's serious. And then so I had to sort of recreate something. And we would do shows outside in the back alley. I ran a, a kids' camp um, during the summer where we were mostly in parks and things like that. And now it's coming back uh, to life and it's really my partner who's, who's, who's dealing with most of it because I'm on the road and uh, doing shows and, and talking to you. Um, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to have something that would also keep me more in Montreal because my kids, you know, go to school and I can't bring them with me. Um, but uh, that's, that's, I think the main subject of this book as well is sort of the, uh, trying to figure out how to, be an artist and also be a mother and, and uh, be present at home, but also um, be present as, as, as an artist and on, and on the road. They've got a question up the front. Come on up. Fantastic. Hi, how are you going? Um, I wanted to ask, uh, is there anything you took out of the book that you're allowed to share or want to share that you regret taking out? Did you hear that, Martha? Yeah, I did. Great. I did. Um, no, I think I, you know, I, I touched on things that I, that I thought were really important to me, but then I would stay, I would get off the subject pretty quickly, you know, um, especially to um, protect my kids. You know, I had a difficult uh, um, divorce and I was so angry and hurt and scared and worried. And, and of course, that got on the page. Um, and then I would go back and read and go, you know what, this is just like icky, you know, and, and not worth it. And then especially of course, because if the kids ever wanted to read the book or that they, that that would not be good for them and, and that they would resent that. And I also, you know, I'm hopeful that things will get better, you know, and are, and they have already. So, you know, I, I really, um, try to, um, um, pull back where it really made sense to pull back. So there's, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, you know, that, that as much was able to stay in as did. And I think that that's enough, you know, there's a lot of information there and I, you know, it wasn't about a tell all. It was really about trying to hook into things that, um, 
mattered to me and made me who I am, but I think that also people will will identify with and and um, um, want to you know feel and and experience and and read about. Thank you. It's uh, it's not a tell all, but it's so candid, and you really let us into as you say. You know, your rebellious teenage years, you're such a good kid to start with, and then you go, bang, I'm going to get out there. And I just, you rebel and finding your way, looking for role models, having to go and visit and live with your dad by yourself for a year, which would have been so difficult and so hard getting to know that dynamic uh, for a young girl and her dad. And he's like, I don't really know what to do with a young girl, daughter, I don't, no idea. Right, right. Yeah, that was um, a big year, you know, of change. I was 14, so that was always going to be a big year, but I got to go. I was living, I'd been living in Montreal my whole life, uh, visiting, obviously, my dad in New York, but never living living there. And to move to New York City when you're 14, go from a girl's school to a co-ed school with a bunch of kids from Manhattan, you know, and be in a one bedroom with my dad and really sort of um, confront uh, him. And um, he hated it. You know, I, I didn't mind it so much, you know, but, but I, I was definitely, I changed as, as a lot of kids do at that time. But I was really pushed into my change, you know, because I, my, my whole life was turned upside down. And um, I, but at the same time, I, I, also realized that if I had had the opportunity to spend more time with my dad and live with my dad when I was younger, I think I would understand, we would understand each other better, you know? So, you know, it's interesting that, you know, um, you know, I wish I had my kids all the time and it's really been very hard for me to have to have joint custody. But, and I also understand that, um, that, um, kids can benefit from being with both parents. So it's just a lot to um, have to accept as a parent. But, you know, I, I, I guess I'm trying to do my, I guess I'm trying to do my divorce better than my parents did, but it's, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I love in the book, when she talks about divorce, she, you know, you, it, there's no happy ending. You just go, it's hard. It's just hard. There's nothing I can, I can't, I can't say anymore. It's just hard. We've got a question down here. Yeah, thank you. Um, I really loved the idea of your dad's lyric staying with you in your head, even if you didn't realise <laughs> that it was there, um, which I'm sure, like, as a child, I think I probably feel the same way about my father's voice sometimes. Um, but I was wondering if, as you were writing this book, if you had a soundtrack to it or if you had moments throughout where your albums really resonated throughout moments of your life or if your parents' albums did or they were totally separate? Thank you. Um, No, yes, thank you. Um, Definitely, there's a lot of references in the book uh, to music. At one point, you know, I was going to, I had um, tried to write it with, you know, um, a lyric as the title of every chapter. And, you know, I was trying to figure out how to tell my story. And I definitely at one point thought about telling it through lyrics specifically, but that's not where, where it ended up. But that being said, you know, throughout the book, there's a lot of quoting of my parents' music, um, a little bit of my brother's music. And then I also, I had to go back and listen to my own music, which I hate to do. <laughs> and I, because I thought, well, you know, I should probably try and remember this time and, and, and talk about some of these songs that maybe some people will recognize or know. And, and also um, try and use my music as a window into myself to remember um, when I was in my 20s and, um, and talk about that time. And in doing that, you know, I think that I, um, I realized that I was a lot better than I thought I was at the time, you know, and I was, I gave myself the right to go back and, and, and it's like looking at pictures of yourself when you're young and you were like, God, I thought I was fat and horrible and ugly and nobody liked me. And then you go back and you go, no, I was so tough on myself, you know, and, um, um, although there were some there at one point I was looking at through pictures to try and look for pictures in the book and I was like, I look like shit in every goddamn picture. 
<laughs> I'm drunk in this one. I'm smoking in this one. Um, and we can't use this, you know. But then, then there were some others that I found. They're great photos. They're great photos. They're great. We've got another question. Um, We've got another question. Yeah. Um, hi there. I just wanted to say thank you for writing the book. And um, uh, do you have any plans to come to Australia? Yes. Yes, yes, I do. We're, I'm working on it. Um, and for, for um, I think we're looking at uh, March uh, 2023, you know, Fantastic. March, April, in that period. So I'll be over there. I know that, that uh, uh, you guys first have to give the opportunity for all of your own artists to play gigs. It's, right now, everyone's going back on the road, and it's, and it's interesting because... Um, in a lot of places, you know, they're not full because not everyone's ready to be in, in, in um, you know, small spaces together, you know, and, and everybody wants to, is so desperate to get back on the road and work, and, but we're also out of practice, you know, because we've, everyone's been watching Netflix for whatever <laughs> amount of time. So this is going to take a while, you know, for, for um, live music, live theater, and these types of events even to... Um, really, I think come back and 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 they'll come back in a different way too. You know, that's Definitely. the nature of yeah. Thank of you. Life. And uh, probably our final question. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, you've got such a powerful way with words, and you talked at the beginning about um, the freedom of poetry. And I guess I just wanted to ask: this novel took you seven years to write. What? How do you dig into yourself to keep pursuing when something doesn't feel as free, doesn't feel as natural? What What is it that kind of keeps you driving forward? When I was writing it? Yeah. 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 I think I would take it out, you know, um, sometimes. You know, if, if I, I would write a lot of stuff down and there was like moments where it was like, oh, that's funny or that's... But then if it didn't ring... Um, true or um, important to the story, then I would um, have to let it go, which was hard to do because when you're, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a writer uh, by trade, and I was like, God, I got to get to eighty thousand words at least, you know, and I was like, God, I, you know, I said, like, I would just look at those word number, the number of words on the bottom of the page, going like, okay. <laughs> you know, we are, we're going to need another, you know, so many, but I probably ended up writing, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of words because I knew that a lot would have to be weighed and sort of, you know, there's only so many stories I can tell about getting shit faced. <laughs> They're not all that interesting, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're good. They're pretty good. I mean, you've chosen the good ones from what I can see. They're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, they weren't all good, I tell you. <laughs> we all know that. Anyone and, that knows that. You know. And following on from, from your question, you know, when was it finished? How did you know it was finished? Oh, I was just... Had enough. Know, that's it. <laughs> I, I was tapped out. You know, I was tapped out. Response. And also, you know, yeah, I, was, I, was, I felt that I had done as what I could. And then at the end, you know, um, um, an editor came in um, who actually had been with the process from the beginning in the sense that she was a Canadian publisher, but she didn't touch the book until the very end. And then we, I was just sort of like, Oh my God, this is going to be so hard how to sort of clean this up and make it right. You know? So then, then her work began, but that was just, a, that just took a couple of months because she would just go in and, you know, um, sort of adjust or chop things out and send it. And I was like, yep, that's good, you know, and it was better. She did make it better, you know, and so um, that was a great relief because earlier on, like years before, I had, I had tr tried to work with an editor and I hated what they did or I didn't like what they did and I had to go back in and put it all back in. So, you know, this thing was hanging over me for a long time, but I also knew that I wanted to um, finish it. I, I didn't want to have to get back the advance, so I... <laughs> Yeah, that advance, it's a real killer. So can, yeah. to finish off, can I get you just to read the last part of Chapter 18 from page 223, sure. thank you, Martha, bottom of 223. Um, that's where I've chosen. You can go a bit higher if you want. It's up to you. But, um, yeah. Great. Sure. 
<laughs> two, two, three. Sorry, hold on a second. My there, there it is. So um, from oh, I I've, I've, I marked that part too. Yeah. From it's Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. It's Saturday. On Mondays, I get the kids back. I vacuumed and cleaned their room. I've done all the laundry, and their drawers are full of clean clothes. The fridge is empty, but I'll do a big shop tomorrow and have the food delivered. It's almost September, and we'll soon have to figure out where the school bus will drop Ark off and pick him up. Some corner between our two homes. This sucks. I wasn't prepared for this. My hair is turning gray, but I'm going to leave it. I did a show last night, and I was amazing. At least two men are texting me who want me to be their girlfriend, but I turn my phone off. I'm not anywhere near ready for that, although I have been a bit of a slut, making up for lost time, I guess. Sometimes I dream about Brad, about kissing him, about his body, about his smile. But when I see him on the street, I want to turn away. When I started writing this book, nothing really bad had happened yet. <laughs> then it was finished, and I thought I'd describe the worst that could happen. And then came the divorce and the abrupt end to the dream I had of how we were going to live. It's important for me to get off this subject. Good things come out of bad things. This I know to be true. I still have hopes and dreams, and as much as possible, that is where my eyes are cast. It seems dismal right now, but I'll tell you a change is going to happen. I'm a fucking phoenix, or if you, or if you prefer, a hedra. Shit's going to get a lot fucking better. I'm not sick. My kids aren't sick. We live in a great town, and I'm capable of making money to survive. I'm a fucking hedra. You bite my head off, and I come back. And on that note, yeah. Oh, yeah. I say Hydra because of the, the island. Some people say Hydra. <laughs> I know. Yeah. What's the difference? So, why, do you, why, why did you make it Hydra? Well, I have a tendency to say Hydra. Well, I, I, I think it, most people call it Hydra, but um, Hydra is the island that Leonard Cohen lives on in Greece. And so yes. I always associate that as yeah. well. <laughs> well, there's or lived on, sorry. There's amazing stories in there about all your extended family and friends and the, and the kind of musical royalty that you've got there and... As you say, Emmylou Harris, Linda Ronstadt and Nana Muscuri put you through school because they covered your mum's songs and your aunt's songs. Yeah. But um, it's been a delight and, to catch up with you. What's, what's next for the rest of the day? It's only 7 a.m. there. It's 7 a.m. I have a show tonight um, and I have a sound check for the show this morning. So I'm going to go do that and then I kind of come home and take a nap. And then I'm going to get the kids off the school bus and to soccer and then to go do the show. And, you know, it, and Rufus is coming to town tomorrow and doing the show. So it's really um, mixing the two. We're making a, a um, you know, a mom artist pie. <laughs> <laughs> Would you please show your thanks and love for the fabulous Martha Wainwright. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and to rate our channel.